Okay, so let's get a little bit of a head. A little bit ahead. Yeah. Okay. So the Articles of Confederation and the Constitution. So now this time frame is 1781 to 1789. Now, during the American Revolution, there was an increased awareness of the inequalities in society. And this is going to motivate some of the individuals and the groups to call for an abolition of slavery and some of these greater, like, political democracies in this new state and national government. Now, there's going to be some changes in society due to the American Revolution. Around 80,000 conservative loyalists are going to leave America, and this is going to pave the way for more democratic reform in state governments. Then there's the slavery issue. Now, there's going to be a rise of anti-slavery societies that are going to occur during and after the revolution in all northern states, even Virginia. The Quakers are going to be the first to found these societies. Now, we talked about that back when we talked about the... Uh, the, the middle colonies. In most northern states, slavery is going to be eradicated in 1800 or by 1800. Vermont was the first U.S. territory to actually abolish slavery. That's going to be in 1777. Pennsylvania was the first state to abolish slavery in 1780 uh, with the Pennsylvania Gradual Emancipation Act. So, Vermont's going to completely get rid of it. Pennsylvania will do the gradual emancipation. So it basically meant that those who were slaves before the law were, they continued to remain slaves for the rest of their life. The children born after the law was passed became indentured servants until the age of 28. And this gradual emancipation became the model for several of the northern states. The the Quark Walker case, and that's Q-U-O-C-K in Massachusetts in 1781, is going to effectively end slavery there as slaves would no longer be protected as property under the law. So this means that the judicial branch in uh, Massachusetts is going to establish instant emancipation in contrast to the legislative branch and its gradual emancipation in other states like Pennsylvania. Slavery was not allowed above the Ohio River in the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, so the future states of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, and these others would be free states, not slave states. The slave trade, sorry, the slave trade was to be abolished in 1808 according to the Constitution of 1787, but by 1860, there's going to be 250,000 free blacks living in the North, but they're going to often suffer political, social, and economic discrimination. So the slave trade has stopped, but the discrimination has not. Several states are going to actually forbid the entrance of blacks. Uh, most blacks were denied the right to vote, and some states even barred blacks from public school. There will be a vibrant African-American community that will develop, uh, the biggest of which was in Philadelphia, where the African Methodist Episcopal Church will serve as a center for the community. There's also going to be thousands of southern slaves that are going to be freed after the revolution, but slavery is still going to remain strong in the South, especially after 1793, and we get the cotton gin. There's going to be a strong emphasis on equality, and this is going to be inspired by the Enlightenment ideas. Common people openly criticize the Cincinnati Society, which is a hereditary organization that's going to include America's military elite and the foreign officers. So basically, it was 
It, it, it seemed a whole lot like aristocracy that was over in England. George Washington was a member and actually refused to resign membership despite receiving some, some public criticism. So it was like, did we really get rid of the monarchy? Hmm. Okay, so uh, equality did not triumph until much later due to the tenant farming, the poor rights for women and children, obviously slavery, and the land requirements for voting and office holding, although they were actually reduced. So this is going to be one of the most democratic societies, but not by any of the means of the way we view democracy today. Um, there's going to be further reduction of landholding requirements for voting that's going to occur in the 1820s. The primogeniture, P-R-I-M-O-G-E-N-I-T-U-R-E, the primogeniture and the entail are going to end before 1800. The primogenitor meant that the eldest son inherited the father's estate, and the entail meant that estates could not be sold off in pieces, and this would guarantee large land holdings to a family, and that meant less land available for purchase to the public. Now, like I said, all of that is going to end before 1800. Then we get into the separation of church and state. Uh, one of the things was Jefferson's Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom. This was written in 1786. So the Anglican Church was replaced by a disestablished Episcopal Church, which is basically what the Anglican Church is in the United States. And much of the South is going to follow Virginia's example. Religious freedom was granted to Catholics, Jews, and all Protestant def- you know, denominations so if you were anything else you're still look uh later's going to influence the first amendment to the constitution the congreg the congregational churches in new england were slower to disestablish so connecticut happened in 1818 massachusetts would be much later in 1833 our state governments obviously we had our three branches but we still had, so we had weak governors, we had a strong legislature, and a judicial branch. We didn't have uh, what we know today. Each state was still a sovereign republic, so basically, in effect, it was its own country, and most states had a Bill of Rights, their own Bill of Rights. Native Americans no longer had British protection and became subject to U.S. expansion westward, or Manifest Destiny. Uh, the Iroquois, for example suffered the significant losses after the war. Now, even though a lot of, of men are getting these increased rights, women were not. Uh, you know, as I discussed in the last podcast, Abigail Adams had written to her husband to remember the ladies during the Revolution, but women were still considered second-class citizens. The ideal of the Republican motherhood took hold, Women were expected to raise their children to be good citizens of the republic, and this ideal actually represented an increase in the status of women who are now seen as morally equal to their husbands. So before the revolution, women were often seen as morally inferior to men and more prone to temptation based on the biblical beliefs of the time. Uh, then we had the femme covert, F-E-M-E, and second word, covert, C-O-V-E-R-T. In many states, women could not own property if married. Even if women had inherited the property, their husbands took control of it upon marriage. Gordon Wood wrote The Radicalism of the American Revolution. 
The thesis, revolution was the most radical and far-reaching event in American history. So it made the interest and prosperity of ordinary people, the pursuit of happiness, the goal of government. It changed the personal and social relationships of people. It destroyed the aristocracy as it had been understood for nearly 2,000 years. It made possible egalitarian thinking. Uh, the subsequent anti-slavery and women's rights movements. It brought respectability and even dominance to ordinary people long before who had been uh, held in contempt, and it gave dignity to menial labor in a way that was unprecedented in history. Before, you know, if you did menial labor, you were below people. Now we realize it, or most people realize it's a very important part of, uh, you know, life. Uh, it brought about an entirely new kind of popular politics and a new kind of democratic office holder. And it also inspired uh, powerful, popular, entrepreneurial, hate that word, and commercial energies. It transformed, uh, basically it, it transformed things without the Industrial Revolution, urbanization, and railroads, which was what had to happen in Europe for these things to happen. Um, it was because of the entrepreneurial commercial energies that we got the, what's considered to be the second industrial revolution, which what is what happened here in the United States. Constitution. Okay, so constitution making in the states. The Continental Congress in 1776 is going to call upon the colonies to draft new constitutions. The sovereignty of new states would rest on the authority of the people according to the theory of republicanism or representative government. Now, some of these features of the state con constitutions. Most will include a bill of rights that will protect individual liberties from government encroachment. Most required the annual election of officers. All created a weak executive and ju judicial branch by what, you know, is considered our standards today, uh, seeing as they're the like the, 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 the usurpers of the, the popular will. Uh, all legislators were given sweeping powers as the, as the democratic branch of government, and the poor, poorer western districts were much better represented once we had these constitutions. Okay, let's discuss the economy in the 1780s just a little bit. So... During the 1780s, America is going to suffer a depression. So there's going to be this huge national and state debt. And this is going to be because of the revolution. There's going to be an excessive use of credit to pur purchase uh, consumer goods after the war, especially to British merchants. This is going to cause more of a debt problem. There's going to be a lack of currency that will plague the states. Uh, foreclosures on farms are going to increase as farmers are not able to pay debts. So they're going to have to go to debtor's prison. The farmers are going to demand laws to help their plight and at times act violently like Shays' Rebellion. There's going to be runaway inflation. And the British companies are going to flood America with goods at very low prices. So they're not buying American, obviously. The seizure of loyalist holdings were moderately significant. So many uh, states were confiscated. They were cut up into small farms. This is going to help accelerate the economic democracy. And a new rich class of land profiters are going to emerge from this. Then you had the uh, economic democracy that will precede political democracy. So basically land was readily available and expensive. So people are able to buy it up. Uh, American manufacturers 
are going to be bolstered by non-importation agreements. So the Americans are going to, going to lose markets in the British Empire because, you know, the navigation laws. And the new commercial outlets are going to be compensated for the lost ones. So we're going to be in the Baltic region and the, Asian, uh, the Asiatic area. Foreign policy challenges are going to be major. We're a new nation. So there's going to be British challenges to the United States because Britain is going to refuse commercial treaties with the United States and they're not wanting to repeal the navigation laws. The U.S. is going to be cut off from the West India uh, trade, so Caribbean. We can't trade with the Caribbean. And the British are going to remain active along the far reaches of the American frontier. Britain is going to seek to maintain an alliance with the Native Americans to form a barrier to prevent any American attack on Canada. Uh, they'll supply Native Americans, encourage them to raid U.S. frontier settlements. There will be British trading points on the frontier. They'll still be there. Uh, and the British will claim that the U.S. broke its pledge to pay debts and restore loyalist property per the Treaty of Paris of 1783. Uh, some Americans will urge economic action against Britain, but Congress did not have the power to control commerce, so what can you do? Uh, states will also not have any kind of uniform tariff policy, so those with lower tariffs are able to trade, you know, easier. Then we've got Spain's challenges to us. Spain had closed the mouth of the Mississippi River in 1784. This is going to hurt settlers in Tennessee and Kentucky who had used New Orleans as a port for their goods. They're also going to claim that a large area north of the Gulf of Mexico, including northwestern Florida, is theirs. Uh, Spain is going to conspire also with Native Americans to keep Georgia and South Carolina. <coughs> The American settlers had tried to expand at the expense of the Native uh, Native Americans, and like Britain, Spain is going Spain is going to supply Native Americans in the Southwest. So Georgia, in particular, was in danger of being overrun by the Creek. Uh, together with Britain, Spain is going to prevent the United States from exercising any effective control over about half of its total territory. Spain is also going to encourage the creation of an independent state in the southwest out of American land. So many of the frightened western settlers are ready to support the Spanish so Native American raids would stop and so they would gain this unfettered access to the Mississippi River and to New Orleans where they were trying to trade. The vulnerabilities of the United States in the southwest are going to lead to a view of a strong central government as the only means to keep the United States intact. So we've got British challenges, we've got Spanish challenges, and we also have French challenges. So France is demanding a repayment of the money that they loaned us during the Revolutionary War. We don't have it. France is also going to restrict any kind of U.S. trade, which the French West Indies and the other ports that they have control over. Then there's the North African pirates, or the Barbary pirates. Uh, America's Mediterranean commerce was being ravaged by the, uh, the pirates from the Algiers, the Tunis, uh, Tripoli, and Morocco. The American merchant sailors were either enslaved or they were ransomed back. The Day of Algiers, and that's D-E-Y, did most of the damage to U.S. shipping. Uh, the Americans previously had been protected by the British Empire during the colonial wars. We no longer have that protection, and we don't have the money to pay. So basically, we were very vulnerable to all of all sides of attack. It's like we thought we wanted this, and then we're like, mm, maybe we didn't. 
Then we have the Articles of Confederation because we're, you know, we're this new government. We're still trying to figure things out. The Second Continental Congress was weak during the Revolutionary War and it only controlled military affairs and foreign policy, not any kind of domestic issues. It had, <coughs> sorry, it had no constitutional authority and the individual states were sovereign. In 1781, the Articles of Confederation were ratified. They were, they were first adopted in 1777, but it took until 1781 for basically everybody to get together and say, yes, yeah, it's what we want. Uh, Western lands were the main point of contention during ratification. Seven, store, seven states had these enormous tracts of land that extended westward, especially New York and Virginia. Uh, six states, including Pennsylvania and Maryland, had no territory beyond the uh, Alleghenies. So they complained that larger states. They complained that the larger states would not have as much land if it wasn't for the smaller states that helped win the war. And they argued that the large states could sell land to pay off war debts, while small states would have to tax themselves for revenue. And it proposed turning westward lands into federal lands. There was also there was finally a unanimous approval in uh, 1781. This was required to ratify the Articles. Maryland held out until then. Uh, basically, they wanted New York to surrender its western claims, and then Maryland was like, okay, cool. Uh, Congress is also going to pledge to create new territories from these western lands. So, in a sense, everybody was happy. Sort of, kind of, but not entirely. So, the provisions of the Articles of Confederation. So, you had your 13 states that were going to join to deal with common, common problems like foreign policy or if we get into a war. And Congress was considered the chief agency of the government. There was no executive branch because Americans feared a strong executive leader because, remember, we just got rid of that monarchy. And no judicial branch because legal matters were left to the individual states. They didn't think that they needed this full, like, oversight. Each state had a single vote, and that was disproportionate power for these small states because they had just as much as, say, a, a state like Virginia. Bills required a two-thirds vote to pass and become a law, and amendments to the Articles requ required unanimous consent, and it took them, you know, forever and 14 days just to get the, the Articles of Confederation ratified to begin with, 1777 to 1781. So what on earth would make them think that you would be able to add amendments? Obviously, this is going to weaken the effectiveness of, of the government at all. So the Articles of Confederation themselves were weak and ineffective. Um, this was intentional because it gave individual states more power and federal less power. There were two crippling limitations. There was no power to regulate commerce, so this resulted in conflicts between states because you could go from one state to another and it like if you were trying to if you're trying to trade trade with one state, there may be a small tariff there and you go to another state and it may be a huge one. So it would just depend on where you were going. And ooh, sorry. And the federal government could not enforce its tax collection program, meaning they couldn't pay back the French. Uh, it also could not act directly upon individuals. <coughs> hmm. 
uh, act directly upon individual citizens from a sovereign state, and they were vulnerable to revolutionary challenges. So you had the Newburgh Conspiracy of 1783, and the cause of this was soldiers in the Continental Army were not paid regularly throughout the war, and the money did they did receive was often worthless because inflation. Some high-ranking officers like the, uh, you know, your congressional nationalists, they discussed using the army to force states to surrender more power to the national government, and then Washington successfully appealed to the officers to end the conspiracy. 1783, there was a threat from the dangerous Pennsylvania soldiers demanding back pay that forced Congress to move to Princeton, New Jersey. The Pennsylvania government would not aid or protect the National Congress. Now, even though the articles were inherently a weakness for, you know, the new, like, 13 states, it is going to be a significant step toward the Constitution. All right, let's look at some of these land laws. These are landmark land laws. So the Land Ordinance of 1785. Land in the Old Northwest, so Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan, would be sold and proceeds would pay off the national debt. The region was split into townships, so six miles wide, split into 36 sections of one square mile. The 16th section was set aside to be sold for the benefit of public schools. This is going to contrast land south of the Ohio, Ohio River where settlement was very disorganized. Then you had the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. So the old Northwest regions would first begin as territories, and they're going to be subordinate to the federal government. A territory could become a state when it finally had 60,000 inhabitants, and it would have equal status with all the other states. Now, the significance of this was by not subordinating new states, the law ensured peace between eastern and western states. The bill was farsighted, though, because the principles were carried over to other frontiered areas. So it was a good idea. Uh, it forbade slavery in the old Northwest, so north of the Ohio River. And the major advantage was gained by the North. Future states could not be slave and ally themselves with the South, so that was good for them. Uh, Southerners could cross state lines to reclaim fugitive slaves, though, slaves, though, under that Northwest Ordinance. So, now the failure of the Articles of Confederation. Now, the problems continued to plague the government in the 1780s. <clears throat> The requisition system of raising money from the states was breaking down, and the interest on the public debt was piling up. Several states were gonna, are going to quarrel over boundaries, and there's going to be these small armed um, clashes that are going to occur between states. Some were placing tariffs on goods from other states, and some were printing depreciated paper money. This is all going to lead to Shea's Rebellion of 1786, and this is probably one of the most important uh, rebellions in U.S. history. So in western Massachusetts, these poor backcountry farmers were losing farms to these mortgage foreclosures, and because of tax delinquencies, they're being taxed and they can't pay it. Uh, many were ex-revolutionary war veterans. They had not got their pension. Some of them were having to go to debtor's prison, and these debtors are demanding uh, this cheap paper currency, lower taxes, and a suspension of mortgage foreclosures. So Captain Daniel Shays is going to lead this rebellion. In, in 86, Shea is going to organize farmers to march on several cities. He's going to close courthouses, and he'll, he'll prevent 
the courts from seizing any more farms or throwing debtors into prison. His plan was to march to Springfield, where the state Supreme Court was in session and then where the arsenal was kept. Wealthy New Englanders are going to provide money for a large militia in the region to try and put this down. January of 1787, Shays, sorry, his last name is S-H-A-Y-S. So Shays and around 1,200 farmers are going to march on the arsenal. Four farmers are going to die and the rest are going to scatter and this will end the revolt. Shays was eventually arrested, but he was, he's going to be later pardoned. Now the significance of this is that the property class feared that the revolution had created a mobocracy or that mob rule. Many prominent citizens are going to demand a stronger central government. And the rebellion was the latest in the series of the West versus East rebellions in U.S. history. Because we had Bacon's Rebellion in Virginia, Leiser's uh, Rebellion in New York, the Paxton Boys in Pennsylvania, and the Regulator Movement in North Carolina. Then we have the Annapolis Convention in 1786. Now, the purpose of this was to improve interstate commerce, but only five states showed up. Alexander Hamilton is going to gain a commitment for a constitutional, conven sorry, constitutional convention the next year in Philadelphia, and the whole purpose of this would be to overhaul those garbage Articles of Confederation. So once we have that constitutional convention, this is where we get into the creation of the Constitution. Each state will send participants, except Rhode Island, who just likes to do their own thing. Leaders were all appointed by state legislatures, and there's going to be 55 delegates that will convene on May 25th, 1787, in the Philadelphia State House. Obviously, most of them were men of high prestige and more than, more than not uh, conservative. Uh, Jefferson in Paris as a U.S. foreign minister is going to call the group a convention of demigods. Seems a little extra to me. So, there's going to be strong anti-nationalists like Patrick Henry, Richard Henry Lee, and Samuel Adams. They will not attend this. George Washington was elected chairman and presided over the convention. And some of the notables that are going to be present will be uh, John Adams, James Madison, Benjamin Franklin, and Alexander Hamilton. The sessions are going to be held in complete secrecy because the delegates did not want to advertise their decisions or give any fuel to the opposition. So they would even have the, you know, even though it was uh, a warmer time when they're doing some of these conventions, they're going to have the windows closed so they don't have any eavesdroppers. And people were not supposed to talk about what was going on, but, you know, Benjamin Franklin did like to... He did like to gossip. All right, James Madison. He is considered to be the father of the Constitution. There were three major Madisonian concepts that will become part of the Constitution. And those are federalism, separation of powers, and the benefit of an extended republic. So federalism is the national government should be stronger than the states. So this means the federal, federal government drew its people from the power, drew its people from the power. Sorry, just had to like a massive dyslexia moment right there. The federal government drew its power from the people, not the states. Then you had your separation of powers. And this was influence this would influence the eventual structure of government. So each branch would be independent of each other with specific powers. Those specific powers of, you know, to be able to veto one another or the judicial branch had that power of, you know, is a law that the legislative legislature makes is it constitutional? So each one is able to check the other two. So that, that comes into your checks and balances. <clears throat> and then 
that benefit of an extended republic. And this was to control faction and limit the negative impact of self-serving politicians. Now, that father title is somewhat of a misnomer, as obviously there's going to be other people that are going to contribute heavily as well, like Charles Pickney, Roger Sherman, and James Wilson. But, to be honest, which of the four names do you know the best? James Madison, obviously. Okay, so the Articles of Confederation were scrapped, because like I said, they were garbage. Uh, this went against Congress's explicit wish to revise the government, not replace it. In effect, the U.S. government was peacefully overthrown. Uh, the states were now in danger of losing their sovereignty. Then you had the issue of representation in Congress. This is going to be one of the biggest issues at the convention. we got two major plans. The large state plan, also known as the Virginia plan, and the small state plan, as you know, the New Jersey plan. The large state plan was written by Madison. And they wanted representation in both houses of a bicameral, meaning two-part, Congress. And they said it should be based on population, so proportional representation. So... This would give the larger states a political advantage. Now, on the New Jersey plan or the small state plan, they wanted equal representation in a unicameral, so one-part Congress, by states regardless of size and population. <coughs> Sorry. Weaker states are going to fear that under the Virginia plan, the stronger states would join together and obviously dominate the rest. Now, there's going to be an impasse, and this is obviously going to threaten to break up the convention. Enter the Great Compromise, or the Connecticut Compromise. Now, this is going to be because of Roger Sherman. So, they said that smaller states would concede representation by population in the House of Representation, representation House of Repres Representatives, and larger states conceded equal representation in the Senate. So, House of Representatives goes by population. Senate is equal. Every state has two senators. Every tax bill would originate in the House as larger states would have to pay a larger portion of the taxes. And large states benefited more from the compromise, obviously, because they still got the most representation. A strong independent executive branch was supposed to be headed by the president. And it contrasted with the state constitution, which had had these weak governors. Washington's sterling reputation is going to earn the delegates' trust and enable us to have this executive branch. The presidential powers of, you know, the military commander-in-chief, the veto of legislation, and the wide powers to appoint domestic officers, including judgeships. Then incoming the Electoral College. Now, the Electoral College would elect the president rather than the direct vote. So, electors would be chosen by the states, <clears throat> and the electors would cast their votes individually. The vast majority of the people were excluded from voting for the president. Then the whole North-South issue, this is going to come to dominate the convention. Slavery obviously being the biggest issue. The northern states, uh, they, they compromised on slavery issues in order to gain passage of the Northwest ordinances that banned slavery north of the Ohio River. They proposed... Abolition would have ended the convention, so they came up with a three-fifths compromise. The North argued slaves should not be counted as part of the Southern population since they weren't technically citizens, and the South argued that smaller population would lead to Northern domination unless, unless slaves were actually counted. So their compromise was that slaves would count as three-fifths of a person for representation purposes only in the House of Representatives. So, this whole idea of equality was sacrificed for, you know, 
unity. Most Northerners and many Southerners believe that slavery would eventually die out, and most Northerners also believe blacks were inferior and could work only as menial labor. So, like I said, this was never about, you know, equality. In 1808, the African slave trade would end, and most states, want, most states wanted the immediate end to the importation of slaves. By 1779, all states except the Deep South had actually outlawed importation. South Carolina and Georgia would protest due to the need for slave labor in the rice production. A fugitive slave provision allowed Southerners to... Right, sorry, had a small interruption of barking dogs. Where was I? Mm. Fugitive slave provision. It allowed Southerners to cross state lines to reclaim their property. Then we had the Commerce Compromise. This is going to resolve a conflict between agricultural or slave, the slaveholding states, and a more industrial or the northern states. Congress could tax imports but not exports. And the major irony of the North-South compromises were that the South gave up power to the North because it expected the South would soon have a population advantage from westward expansion, and the North was willing to compromise on slavery because it thought slavery would eventually die out anyway. Oddly enough, these are things that led us to a civil war. I digress. All right, so the checks and balances, this separation of powers, this had to do with the enlightened or the Enlightenment philosopher Baron de Montesquieu, M-O-N-T-E-S-Q-U-I-E-U, in his Spirit of the Laws of 1762, and this advocated for the separation of powers in government. His view was based on separating government based on class. So you had the king, the aristocracy, and the common people, not the function of executive, judicial, and legislature. Uh, his ideas influenced Americans who modified them to fit a republican government instead of a monarchical government. The three branches of government were also based on the separation of powers, and they were based on function. You had the executive, which enforced the laws, the legislative that made the laws, and the judiciary that interpreted the laws. Article 1, Section 8, Paragraph 18 of the Constitution gives us the elastic clause. Congress shall have the power to make all laws which shall be necessary and proper. And this elastic clause is also known as the necessary and proper clause. So as long as it is necessary and proper for them to do this thing to carry out the execution of their powers, then they can do it. So nationalists wanted to give broader power to the federal government. The state's rights advocates wanted enumeration of powers to limit the federal government's power. The clause gave Congress the flexibility to meet the social and technological changes of the future. So it's like they were, they were thinking ahead here. Then there's the supremacy clause. Lots of clauses. Uh, Congress gained the right to regulate commerce. Now, this is going to be both foreign and domestic. The Constitution became the supreme law of the land, meaning nothing could supersede it. The federal, pow <clears throat> the federal power superseded all state power, and state power was no longer considered to be sovereign. Now, there's going to be conservative safeguards that are going to go with the Constitution. And this purpose was to check the excesses of the mob. So the convention delegates were unanimous in believing that universal manhood, suffrage, democracy was dangerous. And these safeguards were federal judges were appointed for life. The president was elected indirectly by the Electoral College, and senators were chosen indirectly by state legislatures. Now, the reason for federal judges being appointed for life, meaning... That they won't, they don't have to worry about who's in Congress or who's in the executive branch when they declare something constitutional or unconstitutional 
They don't have to worry about keeping their job in the next, uh, the next election because they're appointed for life. So the belief is they will be less swayed by what, say, the president wants them to do or the House or, or the Senate by having their position as a lifelong position. Okay, only the House of Representatives was elected by direct vote of the qualified, and obviously qualified was considered white, male, and propertied citizens. Uh, The Constitution was based on the principle that only the legitimate... Really? That the legitimate government was one based on the consent of the governed, and that comes from John Locke. That consent of the governed is that social contract, meaning you, you give consent... For, these, for the laws that are placed upon you. Uh, there's an older theory of the social contract that was replaced by the idea that people delegate their authority to the government, you know, that whole idea of we the people. Then there was this debate over the Bill of Rights. So why no Bill of Rights? Since most states' Bill of Rights often began with all men are natural, all men are by nature born free, th- Southerners believed it would It would be hypocritical to include such a statement when slavery was provided for in the Constitution. States already had their own Bill of Rights, and states' rights advocate believed that they should remain binding. Some delegates feared a new government might feel free to do anything that was not expressly prohibited in a new Bill of Rights. And most important was a practical reason. Delegates believed that they had reached a fragile consensus that would collapse if new revisions were to be considered. Now, the ratification of the, of the Constitution, this would require nine states. And the provision adopted, uh, sorry, the provision adopted over concerns that support was not unanimous. This was uh, currently required by the Articles, if you remember. If ratified, the Constitution would be supreme law of the land in those states that ratified it. Congress submitted the Constitution to the states without recommendations. People were shocked that the Articles of Confederation was to be scrapped and that the secrecy of the Constitutional Convention had left the country in the dark regarding its its intentions. Many feared that the state's sovereignty would end. Then we get the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists. So there's this... There's this ratification debate that's going to be in the states. Special elections were held in these different states for members of the ratifying conventions. The four small states are going to quickly ratify. So you have Delaware, New Jersey, uh, Georgia, and Connecticut. They realized that the Constitution and the Great Compromise, it favored the small states in the Senate. Pennsylvania was the first large state to ratify. Massachusetts was the critical test. Now, the failure to ratify could have effectively killed the Constitution. The main issue became the lack of a Bill of Rights in the Constitution. Federalists promised that the first Congress under the new Constitution would add one by amendment. So ratification passed 187 to 168. Three more states ratified. That's Maryland, New Hampshire, and South Carolina. And the Constitution was officially adopted on June 21st of 1788. The last four states ratified because they did not want to be isolated from the rest. Virginia, the largest and most populous state, was strongly anti-federalist. 
So Patrick Henry was among the fiercest critics claimed the Constitution would kill liberty. Washington, Madison, and John Marshall were influential on the Federalist side. George Mason, known as the father of the Bill of Rights, refused to ratify the Constitution until a promise for a Bill of Rights was added. And Virginia ratified shortly after the Constitution had been ratified by nine states. It didn't want to be an independent state. Not by itself, anyway. New York. Enter the Federalist Papers. There were 85 Federalist Papers in all. Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison wrote an influential series of articles for the New York newspaper called the Federalist Papers. The most important commentary that was ever written on the Constitution was written by these three men. Federalist X by Madison is the most famous, Federalist X meaning Federalist 10, of the Federalist Papers. It refuted the conventional belief that it was impossible to extend a Republican form of government over a large territory. New York will eventually ratify because it realized it could not prosper alone. North Carolina and Rhode Island, they ratified only after the Constitution had been in effect for, in effect for several months. Rhode Island was the only state not to attend the Constitutional Convention. All right. There is going to be a comparison piece that I will hand out to you guys in class about the Anti-Federalists versus the Federalists. This will give you the Anti-Federalist objections to the Constitution and the Federalist defenses of the Constitution. So you'll get the uh, ratification positions as well as comparing the Articles and the Constitution. So you will get what we had under the Articles of Confederation and then the Articles not articles, under the federal constitution or the constitution as we, as we know it today. The <clears throat> terms to know will be posted, and we will get into the essay topics next week.